0: So we're going to have our main Bible reading now. And this morning we're reading from James 4 from verse 13 all the way to the end of the letter. James 4 verse 13 to 5 verse 20. And it says this So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and the corrosion will be evidence against you and you will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the labourers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ear of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your eyes yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not falter fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Let him know that whoever brings a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Well in a moment we're going to have a look at that passage or at least part of it. There's a lot going on. It's quite a long passage and we can't cover it all. I think I'd rather cover one bit well than try and cover all of it badly. So that's what we're going to do. But it does mean that when it comes to question times, if you want to, we can focus on what we have been talking about, you can ask questions about what we've been talking about, or you can ask questions about the things that we haven't spoken about. So there's lots of things we're not going to allude to from that passage, so question times are a good time to pick them up. But also, um, I think what we're going to look at today is going to be of interest to you, and... I imagine there will be quite a lot of questions that come related to what has been said in the sermon. So, we'll see how things pan out. That will all happen in the live chat, and I'll explain that when we come to it. There's also a sermon outline, and that is in the description box. If you haven't already received it via email, you can download that and use that if you will they don't work for paper aeroplanes anymore that was only when we printed them out on paper so if they're no use to you we used to be able to make paper aeroplanes but no no more now you might think tom's being very irreverent it's just a sermon outline the important stuff is in here that's where the magic happens and then finally and most importantly let me pray Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the promises that you have made to us. And we thank you that each and every one of those promises is guaranteed. So much so that if we pray and ask for them, we can be sure that we have already received them. We thank you that you are the loving Heavenly Father who knows what we need and will not withhold from us but you're wise you know what we need and often you know better than we know ourselves and so we pray lord that we would search your scriptures to find out what you know that we need and should be asking for we pray lord that our prayers and requests would be in line with your good name amen i wonder if jesus had never died and never been then raised from the dead, would we still be talking about him? He did do some remarkable things, but if there had been no cross, would we still be talking about his miracles and his healing today? It's interesting to think that all the people Jesus healed or raised from the dead are now Gone. The lady who bled for 12 years, I'm sure at the time she was grateful, but for a long time now, she's been dead. Jerry's daughter, she was raised to life, but she's no longer here now to tell the story. Jesus had a unique ability, an ability to prolong life. But in the end, it was only for a little while. We can categorically affirm everyone whose life Jesus prolonged is now dead. You see, without the cross, Jesus' contribution is at best trivial. Now this all may seem extremely irreverent. But actually it's crucial to have at the forefront of our minds whenever we come to a passage that speaks about healing. Because it will prevent us from getting carried away. If I am healed, well that's wonderful news. For a time I will be relieved from my suffering, but it will only be for a time. The one thing that I can guarantee you is eventually I will suffer again. And one day that suffering will be terminal. That much is established in one of the earliest chapters of the Bible in Genesis 3. We discover that we live in a world that is now fallen and death is on its way. Healing provides us with a taste of what is to come. It's a glimpse. It isn't the whole picture. It's just a glimpse. And it's for this reason that more than healing we must desire forgiveness. For the healed live a little longer, with a taste of what might be. But the forgiven are preparing for a heavenly meal that will completely satisfy our hunger. So let's keep that in mind as we look at this passage now. However, even with this in mind... Our eyes are drawn to verse 15 of James 5. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins he'll be forgiven. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Well there couldn't be anything more simple. Prayer heals. The problem comes when we try it. We try it and the individual remains sick. It's at this point that the faith healer accuses the recipient of not having faith. Now that's a little unfortunate. Have a look at, look at what the verse says, verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. The verse only speaks of the faith of the one who offers up the prayer. The criticism backfires. So to start, it's worth spending a moment talking about faith. We often make the mistake of thinking about faith in the same way that Peter Pan does. It's the point in the story when Captain Hook has swapped Peter's medicine for poison. Peter doesn't know this, but Tinkerbell does. As he attempts to drink the drink, Tinkerbell Flies between his lips and the draft. Flies between the lips and the draft and drains it to the dregs. She's lying in a bed, and she's about to die. And she said she thought she could get well again if children believed in fairies. Peter flung out his arms. There were no children there, and it was night time. But he addressed all who might be dreaming of the Neverland and who were therefore nearer to him than you think. Do you believe, he cried. Tink sat up in bed, almost briskly, to listen to her fate. She fancied she heard answers in the affirmative, and then again she wasn't sure. What do you think, she asked Peter. If you believe, he shouted to them, clap your hands, don't let Tink die. Many clapped, some didn't. Well, if you're not familiar with the story, Tinkerbell does recover. But our point is, we tend to think of our faith in a similar way to this. We grit our teeth. We close our eyes tight shut. And then we clap our hands frantically. I do believe, I do believe, I do believe. When that doesn't work, it means we need to grit our teeth harder, close our eyes tighter, and clap until our hands bleed to show that we really do believe. But notice what has happened. Faith no longer depends upon God, and his answer to our prayer It has become all about our own ability to believe. My faith now relies upon the strength of my faith and doesn't depend upon God. This isn't faith. Faith isn't about how hard we grit our teeth. Faith has everything and is all to do with the object of our faith. Faith is about believing that God will keep his promises, that he will do what he has said he will do, that he has the power to do what he has planned. And this leads us nicely to our next point. Faith is about believing God will do what He has promised. Faith isn't about insisting that God do something that He hasn't promised. So, the next thing we're to look at is what does it mean to pray in the name of the Lord? Notice the steps that are taken in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Now this reminds us of something that Jesus said in John 14 verse 14, which is the very verse that we read out when we prayed. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Jesus appears to have left himself open to being forced to do something he really doesn't want to do. What does anything include? So if I asked for another man's wife, is that included in anything? Well, it can't be. It just wouldn't make sense. To ask for anything in the name of the Lord implies anything that is appropriate to be asking for in God's name. And that's why none of you have received those Ferraris you've asked for. But the next question is, is how do we know what's appropriate? And this is where the name of the Lord qualifies the term anything. To ask in the name of the Lord is to ask according to God's plan. Anything that we ask for in the name of the Lord is anything that Jesus has promised he will give in line with the Father's plan. And this is reminiscent of the introduction. What is God's plan? Is God's plan to Prolong life for a short time, or is God's plan to bring forgiveness to a sinful people who He will gather to Himself to be His people and dwell with Him in the new heavens and the new earth as His people? See, forgiveness. Is far more precious than healing. Healing is temporary. Forgiveness is eternal. Healing is never promised. Whereas forgiveness is guaranteed. To ask for anything in my name is to ask for anything that has been promised. Of which you will certainly receive. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking this is all well and good, but what about what we read in James? Well, let's have a closer look. Do you notice anything peculiar about verse 15? And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Wouldn't it make more sense if it read... And the prayer of faith will heal the one who's sick. Instead of the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, the prayer of faith will heal the one who's sick. Now have a look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, that isn't quite right either. Wouldn't it make more sense if it read, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be forgiven? This is the last thing that James writes in his letter. And among other things, he's challenged his readers to prove their faith authentic by behaving like people with faith. He's warned his readers not to show favouritism towards the rich. He warns his readers that they must be slow to speak and and so control what they say to one another. And he points out to his readers that boasting is futile because we're like mist. Here for a moment, then gone. It could be that this is all general advice that James thought would be helpful for his readers to know. But it's more likely that this is specific advice to specific problems. And so when James comes to the end of his letter, he's writing to a church that is in need of forgiveness. It seems that also there are some people who are sick. So can we assume that here is a church that isn't reflecting the behaviour of the head of church, Christ? It's not that the whole church is guilty, they may not be, but the sin of the few impacts the whole church. The sickness could be due to the fact that the church is is at odds with God, but there really is no way of knowing. It certainly doesn't mean that the sick must be the sinner. What it could mean is the church could be under God's judgment as a whole. And so given this, James's final point is to bring the church together so that they can pray for forgiveness. Have you ever thought the prayer of forgiveness is never wasted? It's never superfluous. It's the prayer that can never do any harm. I mean, the worst case scenario is the church has asked for forgiveness when it didn't need to. But is that ever likely to be the case? Otherwise, forgiveness is received as promised. For sins known about, forgiveness is received for sins that were overlooked or sins they were unaware of. Now, if when they pray for forgiveness, people who are ill get better, that's great. But if people who were ill don't get better, well, something much greater has happened because sins have been forgiven. People will be sick, they may get better suddenly, they may get better eventually, or it may prove terminal. But what really matters is sins have been forgiven. Everyone can testify to some extent of God's power to heal. It's God behind the active ingredient of paracetamol just as it is God's work that means chemotherapy causes cancer to go into remission but in this world God makes no promise that we will live forever. This world is fallen and like Jeremiah's land it must be torn down so it can be rebuilt. God is gathering his people to live in the new creation. And that is the place where there will be no more suffering. We need to have this perspective because the one thing we can guarantee is one day we will die. But often we can think there is nothing worse than dying. in don carson's book how long O lord he has a small section entitled things worse than dying and in this section don carson has been diagnosed with an illness and he has reason to believe that he may well die and he writes this but i remembered the fate of hezekiah When he was under the sentence of death, he begged the Lord for 15 more years and received the extra span. And in the course of those 15 years, he blew his entire reputation for integrity in one incident prompted by foolish pride. Nor was his reputation alone at stake, the bearing his action had on the future of the nation was disastrous. That is why I decided there are worse things than dying. I do not know how many times I have sung the words, oh let me never never outlive my love for thee, but I mean them. I would rather die than end up unfaithful to my wife, I would rather die than deny my profligate life that I have taught in my books. I would rather die than deny or disown the gospel. God knows there are many things in my past of which I am deeply ashamed. I would not want such shame to multiply and bring dishonour to Christ in years to come. There are worse things than dying let's pray dear heavenly father we do thank you that in your provision you've sent your son and you've guaranteed to us that if we pray in your name our sins will be forgiven And we pray, Lord, that we would have faith in this promise and know it to be true. And we pray, Lord, that our desire would be for forgiveness above healing. That you would give us a perspective to understand that this world is fallen and is due for destruction. But you are going to rebuild a world where there is no suffering And a world where your people will dwell with you. And we thank you that we can understand what it means to be forgiven. That we might become part of that kingdom. So we pray Lord that we would have an eternal perspective. And understand things your way. Amen. Well, as I mentioned before, there's an opportunity now to ask questions. This all happens in the live chat area. So if you put a queue in the live chat, we know there's a question coming. It's just convenient because it means that you can spend a bit of time formulating what your question may be. Now, as I said at the start, there are lots of things in that passage that we've not looked at you might have a question about Uh, so I will do my best if my memory serves me well otherwise I can imagine just as equally that you might want to ask some questions of clarity we've covered quite a lot this morning and it's quite a I think it's a topic that is intriguing I think it's a topic that people will be aware of and hopefully i have brought some clarity but you may want to uh, bring some more to it so you might want to do that by asking a particular question about what we've said this morning we have covered a lot of ideas quite fast and quite briskly so i won't be surprised if you'd like me to go over something again um, or some further implications of what we've said We have a question from Ricky. I think he's basically just put that in so that I don't move on. But he hasn't really got a question. Don't feel like you have to wait. If you also got a question, feel free to try and get in there before these two. okay oh we've got a question from susie just to clarify are you suggesting we understand healed in verse in 5 verse 16 to mean forgiven and not physically healed okay so no that's not what i'm saying so i think what's going on here is so let me just take us back one step so i think there's one thing worth clarifying so there's absolutely no doubt you may have come across this before when someone says oh i'm sick to which your christian friend responds well what have you done wrong okay so that's the idea that they're saying the reason you're sick is because you've sinned now that is a complete and utter no-go area if you're sick you're sick because you live in a fallen world You know, ultimately, that's that's the sort of area we we that's the sort of problem we're we're in. So we get sick because we live in a fallen world. Our bodies are deteriorating. There is cold flus, covids. There's all sorts of different things. There are some people who they do all sorts of things like smoke and eat junk food, and they live till they're ninety. There are other people who have very healthy lives, and they die young you know that's not because of them being a sinner that they died it's because we live in a fallen world you know the person who lives for a long life and is a wicked person lives a long life you know that's so you can't go around saying to people who are sick well what have you done wrong that is a no-go area at all it's just totally inappropriate so i want to clarify that I've got that out of the way. Now I'm gonna answer the question. Having said that, so here's the thing. I think, I mean, if you, if you kind of read, work your way through the letter of James, James is not impressed by this particular church or these particular churches that he's writing to. They're not behaving like God's people. And so there's a sense that they could be under the judgment of God as a church. Now, what would that look like? And would you be able to discern a a church that is under God's judgment from a church that isn't under God's judgment? And I think the answer is quite probably not. You could hazard a guess. You could have a think. But you wouldn't know whether it really, truly was under God's judgment or what wasn't under God's judgment. Okay, so here's a church that is in. People are people are sick and are getting ill. It's not necessary the people who are in the ch- who are in the church and doing things that are wrong. So it might be just to tease it out. The church, let's say, is full of divorce, um, lots of people are getting divorced, or the church is doing this, that, or the other, whatever it might be, um, all these things are going on, and someone gets ill, but they haven't done anything wrong. And that's because the church as a whole is under judgment. It's not just, you know, because it's a whole body. So that's a possible context of what's going on. And so as James finishes, you've got this dreadful position where the church is behaving in a way that isn't God's way of behaving. And what he says is, his advice is, well, pray for forgiveness. But he starts with, Is anyone among you sick? So you've got a a church, a community, and some are sick. Then go and pray. Then verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. It doesn't heal the one who's sick. It forgives them. You know, there's a salvific idea there. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, if you confess your sins to one another, you're expecting to be Forgiven. But you might find the scenario where people are praying for one another, the church has come together, it's united, it's prayed for forgiveness. And so this person over there who's sick is now relieved from his suffering because the judgment is gone. So the church will be healed because the church has been forgiven. Let me go right back to the start. You can't go around saying to people, if you're sick, you've done something wrong. That's not what this is saying. But what about this? If I'm sick, will it prompt me to pray for forgiveness? That is, actually, that's not a bad choice to make. So I'm sick and I pray for forgiveness. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me for the sins that I know I've committed and forgive me for the sins that I'm unaware of committing. I am sorry to have committed them. Please forgive me. Now, I might get better. I might not get better. It might prove an illness that lasts for a minute, a bit, a bit of time, but eventually goes. it might prove terminal but what i have done is i prayed for forgiveness which has eternal implications so here i think james means what he says he's on purpose he's interrelating the two if you're sick pray and be saved if you confess your sins you'll be healed so if these this is the case if this is the scenario that so the church is under god's condemnation pray for forgiveness and those that are sick will be healed if that's the case okay i hope that i hope that's clear i don't certainly don't want to make send anyone away confused but i think this is what's there's a complexity to all this isn't there in the sense that we can never quite know exactly how and everything sort of plays in to one another in the sense that like like i say if if you're sick you, you can't just cause and effect cause and effect cause and effect but at the same time if your sickness causes you to pray for forgiveness well there were worse things to have done it certainly wasn't wasted prayer and if you don't get better well you've been forgiven that's good news i hope that's helpful i'm going to stop because i could just keep rambling and that's not helpful okay any more questions ricky i seems to have stalled i don't know whether that's because i was right and he was just putting that in um, because he wanted to stop me moving on, or whether he's got a question he just wanted to hold off while he waited to hear the answer to the last one um oh, here we go, there we go. Would a helpful other example of a church under God's judgment and some being sick be seen in one corinthians eleven twenty seven to thirty two I imagine so let's have a look. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined, so that they may not be condemned along with the world. Excellent. Thanks. Here's, here's the thing. So, um, I think the important thing is to recognise it's not for us to discern which church or which person is or not isn't under God's judgement. It, it, you can't do that these workers warnings as behave in this way not in this way or you'll be in this position okay so that's why it is a no go area to to go in that direction yep okay no more cues have come through so i I'm happy to move on if you're happy to move on. Okay, we're going to spend a moment in... Oh, no. Another cue has come. Simon's got a question on its way. Uh, once we've had Simon's question I'll answer that and then we will have a reflection We're uh, going to take this a little bit further and look at Mark 11 20 to 26 in a bit and then we're going to sing when I survey the wondrous cross an appropriate song given what we've been reflecting upon this morning okay simon says can you please expand on james 4 verse thirteen seventeen? 17 how should we live in light of this okay let's have a look <laughs> so come now you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit you do not know what tomorrow will bring what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes Instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, your boast you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right things to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So I think this all has to come all comes down to perspective. Um, And i think one of the things that we you know this is the the guilt of man isn't it in many senses is that we think we can do more than we can we think the world revolves around us and what we need is that copernican revolution when we realize that the world does not revolve around us the world revolves around god Um, in the sense that so the descriptions that's been the I mean it's interesting here, isn't it? Is this someone in the church who's saying this? Is this the attitude of the church? Um, you know, people in the church are saying today or tomorrow we'll go into such such town, spend a year there, trade and make a profit. But here's the thing: these plans that they're making, they depend upon God sustaining your life because that's how the length of our life is sustained we talked a moment uh, at the start about prolonging life well ultimately God is in charge of the prolonging of our life he can cut it short or he can cause it to last a long time but of course our long life is nothing I mean it's fleeting it's a moment here it's described what is your life you're a mist that appears for a little time then it vanishes and i think we really struggle to get our heads around that because we've got this we are the center of the world but actually the 70 or 80 years if we get them are fleeting and once we kind of get this, get this understanding, then it helps to start putting everything in perspective. We are no longer as proud as we should be, but we appreciate who God is and what God can do. Because he is eternal. So for all of our 70 uh, or 80 years that are fleeting, well he's always been not only through them but before them not only through them and before them but after them he's there he's the one who sustains it and therefore we depend upon him so our first thought has to be God because he's the one who gives us life sustains our life and he's here when we've gone he was here before we were I think it's an incredible thing when we get our heads around it. It starts to s- help us see that our problems and anxieties, and this will pick up, I think, maybe in the second week when we look at anxiety, they too are like mist. You know, they too. You know, you think of the things that um, your great-grandparents... ...worried and feared about when they were alive. Well, what are they? Those problems. What are they now? But actually, if you start to get an eternal perspective... ...you start to see that actually... ...the eternal implications are much more important. But that's when we've got to start thinking about God... ...and appreciating that He's at the centre. He's of most importance he's where it's happening so i think that's it's a perspective thing i think and i guess that you could think in terms of a practical element it could simply be people have this thing where they say oh yeah i never do anything without saying the lord wills it's all well and good um but that's got to come from the right perspective so i hope that's helpful um it's yeah it's getting that eternal perspective and then helping us think about things in that light okay let's keep let's move on um because we've had we've had three questions and i've taken some time over them